Off the Brawl on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. He's right in front of me and I can honestly tell him that I'm going to knock him spark out. Leaping right hand by the Prince. Ooh. And a hard left. And Kelly's down for the third time. Whoa! He's for real. Unbelievable. For real. One more touchdown. And Carter has gone. Bernard Dunn is the champion of the world. Bernard Dunn is the champion of the world. Yes indeed, a very happy Valentine's Day to you and welcome along to the Classic Game Club. This is the show where we go and watch back a classic sports event and chat about it here in studio. It's like a book club except for sporting events. It is Valentine's Day so we're looking back on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Not the initial St. Valentine's Day Massacre which was of course when Al Capone lined up uh, nine people from a, a rival gang and shot them all dead. This is the sporting version of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre uh, which was uh, a little less violent than that but still fairly full of blood. Jake LaMotta against Sugar Ray Robinson in the year 1951, 14th of February. Ronan Mullen, you're very welcome. Owen, thanks for having us. Phil Egan, how are you? Good to be here. Yeah. It's Off the Brawl meets Classic Game Club, the, the greatest crossover since Batman vs Superman. Yeah, it's the collaboration people have been clamouring for and we've delivered it <laughs> early doors here. Absolutely, often in boxing, promotions get in the way. Yeah. They, they often do, but you know we, we managed to cut through all the bullshit here uh, on the Classic Game Club. This is a, an unusual departure for us, the previous four episodes, which of course you can check back on youtube.com forward slash off the ball, have all been in the recent past where it's like, yeah, I remember watching it, I was here, I was potentially working at the game. This is a, a vastly different situation. I presume it's something for the two of you that it was a huge figure of uh, your boxing knowledge that you, you kind of look back on two of these, obviously, as all-time greats, but this particular encounter as one of the most stunning boxing events we've seen. Yeah, and like, as you said, more recent boxing fights, the callback is automatic where you can remember bits mm. and pieces straight away, whereas with this fight, it's almost like a fusion of not only all of their fights, but the, the post-treatment, the movie and, and whatnot. So it's just trying to watch this one specifically in its own, on its own merits, as John Giles would say, and see, see how it played out as opposed to the other ones. Were you well aware of this? I was, but I'm not one for going back watching a load of classic fights. Obviously, you know, from an early age when I started watching boxing, then a lot of those fights stay in my mind. But, you know, you have to go back and watch certain fights. I know it's something that Andy Lee has talked about with us before, where, you know, he would have watched fights back with Emmanuel Stewart and how amazing that must have been where you're looking back on classic fights and you're getting the, the thoughts of a legendary trainer. So it's certainly a fight if, if people haven't watched back, it'd be well worth watching back. And I think it definitely stands the test of time. It's it's still a classic fight. Big time. We, we will tweet out the, the link for anybody who wants to watch this whole thing back. Just to set the context for anybody who's coming to it totally unaware, I think this is the pinnacle of one of the greatest rivalries the sport has ever seen, that sport in total has ever seen. So this is the sixth and would end up being the, the final face-off between Sugar Ray uh, and between Jake LaMotta. They hadn't fought for some time before that. Robinson 
like was he widely considered as the GOAT going into this? Like I'm sure the record spoke for itself that we, you're witnessing true greatness. Certainly in hindsight it just gets hammered home because people's records get diminished as the decades go by uh, in boxing. Beaten once ever at this point and it was by Jake Lamotta himself which was in 1943. So five years between that, this fight that we're talking about today and their previous fight, uh, Sugar Ray had won that by decision which I think is going to be an important part of this because this was not just uh, a revenge mission for Jake LaMotta to try and beat Sugar Ray Robinson on this occasion. This was a huge task for Jake Robinson to actually knock Jake LaMotta out. Famously, he had never been uh, down to the canvas at this point. It's something that I presume Sugar Ray Robinson uh, had a huge desire to do. So the chance was there for him to knock him out as well as that. That is the context between the two fighters. But there's a couple of other things here, lads, that kind of pops up. There is uh, Sugar Ray Robinson and the situation with Jimmy Doyle and having the dream about killing a man in the ring and then subsequently doing so, that must have haunted him for years after this, that he finds himself in what becomes a massacre in the ring where he is pummeling a guy. So I think this is a really important part of the context. And then in a wider sense of things, it's about television. It's one of the first internationally broadcast uh, boxing bouts we have. So there's a lot going on here. The fight itself is amazing, but then it has all this lore around it as well that just makes it this iconic moment for, for sport. Yeah, like the, the fight that predates this that was of similar notoriety was the Joe Lewis, Max Schmeling and everything that went with that. That's the most listened to uh, radio broadcast ever. But this, as you said, pervaded a whole new audience with TV. And you can see sort of the, the quirks of the TV broadcast where the commentator's probably not speaking as much as we might mm. anticipate <laughs> these days. There's unbelievable action unfolding and he's just like, sort of letting it happen. Um, but yeah, it was just the, the background to it is incredible. The fact that they'd fought so many times. Rivalries, by their very nature, you think there's a bit of nip and tuck. Sure. You look at six fights and you presume, oh, it must have been 3-2 or something coming into this. But it was actually more like a Mayo-Dublin rivalry where <laughs> it was, they were always quite close, but Dublin ultimately won most of them. So this one, like the 4-1 the tally doesn't quite do justice to how close this rivalry was. There's a great TV show, The Way It Was. I'd never heard of this before. Um, it was uh, a television show that ran in the mid-70s on KCET in Los Angeles. So basically, they got the two guys together in the mid-1970s, Robinson and LaMotta, and here's what they had to say about how the fight came together. Well, that was a good round one. Jake, how many times did you fight Sugar Ray? Hmm. I fought Sugar Ray so many times. It's a wonder I don't have diabetes. <laughs> Jake, I got a question for you with Robinson. Now he had, he had beaten you four times. How come you gave him a shot at the title? Well, we had very close fights, and uh, he was about the only one around that we could make that I could make some money with. He was a top contender, top challenger, and uh, and it was an interesting fight. I wanted to prove to everybody that I could beat him. Unfortunately, I was wrong. Ray, were you surprised yeah. when he gave you a shot at the title? No, I was happy because Jake never ducked anybody. Mm -hmm. you know, he didn't have to, you know. Yeah, he certainly didn't have to. Um, he could take a punch better than anybody else, I think, ever in the, in the boxing ring. This, we'll get into the moment of the fight in, in just a moment, but I just want to touch on something right before the fight, which might come up in a couple of other categories, and it is the theatre around this, which is uh, rolling out former champions, current champions, current heavyweight champion is brought in at some stage, they come in, shake the referee's hand, shake both fighters' hands, which reminded me 
of the Jubilee team on All Ireland final day, where you have like the twenty five years ago and the Offaly team is out waving to the to the crowd in Croke Park. This was basically it, except they just brought out a lot of boxers uh, and shook everybody's hand. I hadn't seen that before. When did that tradition actually die out of boxing? I don't know, but I I think they should bring it back for Wilder Fury, where you get Holyfield, Tyson, Klitschko, Lennox Lewis. Bring them in. Andy and Ruiz. Andy Ruiz. Andy Ruiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Former let, champ. Let's get into moment of the fight. What what sticks out for you? What is your number one moment? Moment of the fight, round eleven. So it's Lamada's last stand. The fight has developed a pattern similar to most of the other fights, where Lamada's pressing the action and Robinson is sort of on the back foot, uh, picking him off. And there's a point I'd like to make on Robinson, where the likes of Floyd Mayweather would be seen as a master boxer and a, a technician in a similar mould. But he's, he's punching to score, whereas you can really see Robinson's punching to hurt his opponent. Mm -hmm. And to your point earlier, he wanted to make a statement here and stop him. And in round 11, Lamada does a little bit of gas left in the tank and he catches him in his own corner and presses Robinson against the ropes and he's just unfurling this unbelievable volley of punches. And you think this is his big moment to, to finish it. And Robinson's visibly wilting on, like for the first time in the fight, I would have said. And then it's just the, the measure of the, the boxer and the man, Robinson rallies back. And that's the determining rally in the fight where Robinson basically breaks his heart, breaks his spirit. Lamada gave him his best shot and, and Robinson took it and finished the round stronger. And rounds 12 and 13, it was a foregone conclusion. Hmm. What did you go for? I actually had the same one. And I honestly didn't consult with Ronan because even watching the fight, you know it's a 15 rounder and you're at around round seven, you're thinking, you know, they're, they're approaching the halfway stage and it's it's quite close. And round nine and ten is when Sugar Ray Robinson really starts to take control. And as Ronan said, that 11th round at the start, that's when Jake LaMotta, it's almost like the Hail Mary play. And even watching the fight, you know the crowd are on LaMotta's side because every time he lands, there's a bigger cheer. And just the, the natural style that he has, well, it's not natural, but the way he fights, the way he, he charges forward like the bull and you know he just constantly presses Sugar Ray Robinson, gets him into a corner and you think there's a slight chance that he could, he could do this but once Robinson survived that then you know that that is it done and dusted. That is it. So what does he last after? About six minutes of boxing in total after that? Gets it, it could have been stopped in the 12th. As the commentator said it was Lamada against gravity after that point where he was basically just trying to stay on his feet and like Robinson, if people like prospective boxers want to watch why Robinson's so revered still, the way he picks his punches in round 12, it's like there's nothing wasted. And yet it's not as if he's just dirt lancing blows and he's bobbing and weaving, he's thudding them in there. And but for Lamada's bravery, which is akin to that episode of The Simpsons where Homer, Homer has this like helmet inside his head where he can take undue punishment, Lamada should have been all out. That for me is the moment of the fight. Once you get past the moment when Robinson is trapped in the corner and you do have only six minutes left, I think it helps with the context that we have here, which is re-watching a fight. If this is the first thing we're watching, it's like, okay, this is grand, this is almost getting a little bit grim, but it's almost like, oh my God, I can't believe there's another four to six minutes to go here when this guy is taking such a pummeling. Of course, you've got to factor in the fact here that Jake Lamada is a terrible human being and you're watching him getting beaten up some people might say that's a, a fantastic moment to watch but i think it's just lunacy I, I like it, it is astonishing to see the beating he takes like this 
would not be called St. Valentine's Day Massacre up until this point. Like, okay, it was one-sided, mm. and, and I think Robinson is clearly going to win this fight, but it's after this point that it becomes a massacre. It's a six-minute massacre. It's a pummeling. It's horrific. Some people would say it's beautiful, but for me, that's the moment of the fight. This is the moment where, you're, where your kind of mouth is open and you're like, holy shit, boxing was a very, very, very different thing back then. And it kind of plays into the whole idea that Robinson had killed a man in the ring before. Like, this uh, this is a brutal sport at the time. And how Lamotta managed to live till the age he did as well. That, like that, That's what surprised me the most when we started going back. I forgot that... He died, I, like, the last day. 95. Like it, uh, I, like that, we'll get into most jarring now in just a moment, but that's one of the things where I was like, okay, I, I had to go onto his Wikipedia page a couple of times just to ensure that this is the same person, the same human being we're talking about, getting this sort of beating in 1951 and still being alive a couple of years ago. Um, there's a couple of things we want to play. We want to go back to the way it was because um, on this topic of taking punishment, Jake Lamotta actually broke it down pretty interestingly here. I'm so, I've been so used to it. I've fought him so many times <laughs> that it gets to be a, a natural thing. You know, you move that fraction of a second when most people think you're really getting full, the full power of the punch. You're really not. Mm -hmm. Just that fraction of a second, you know. You know, you know a baseball player when he catches the ball, yeah. if he holds his hand out, the ball's, uh, hand's going to sting. Right. But if he moves with that ball, that's yes. the same thing with a punch. If you move that slight fraction of a second, faster than I could see, you lose the, most of the power of the punch. I, I just, I guess God gifted me with a hard head because I really, I really couldn't feel punches. I conditioned myself many years ago, many years ago that nobody could hurt me. Self-hypnosis or whatever you might call it, but I really believed nobody could hurt me. You did it mentally? Mentally, yeah. Psych myself, whatever you, whatever you say. I did it unconsciously, instinctively, I did it. And I believed it. And I went through my whole career where nobody ever hurt me. And I fought the toughest guys that ever existed. How much damage? You, you know, you look like you're taking some damage, too, in this fight. Everybody that fought Jake LaMotta took some damage. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting, the whole baseball analogy there, which would suggest that there was a technique to taking the damage he did. Like, what, what do you put it down to the reason why LaMotta managed to stay on his feet so long in all these fights? I don't know. It's almost as if he used it to his advantage in some ways. There's a, a fight, the fight that just preceded this against Lauren Tatoy, where he, this narrative could have been so different because he really pulls that fight out of the bag in the last salvo of the fight, 13 seconds I think on the clock and the commentators use the term playing possum where Lamad is almost pretending to be spent and lulls his opponent into a false sense of security and then comes rallying back. So it's almost as if both psychologically Lamada it's playing on the opponent's mind that they know this guy can't be put down mm. and on the flip side Lamada is, like also builds that as a, like a base camp where he knows he has the inner resolve that 15 round fight, he can pull it out of the bag at any moment and he had his moments in this fight and obviously in the previous fights as well but I think it's, it's a physiological thing, it's, he's, he's just a freakishly built person. I it has to be a mental thing as well though mm. and uh, from the opponent's point of view it must mess with your head knowing that you can and think back to the gloves like how much heavier they would have been so you're landing vicious blows and this guy takes them and keeps coming forward. It, you know, it can break a lot of opponents. And I think what was interesting listening to Sugar Ray Robinson after the fight, when he's called over for his interview on the, the, the ring apron, he said, like, the game plan was stick and move early on, tire him out, and then later in the fight, start to sit down on your punches and really land them. And, 
you know, it, it's something that came up in the commentary later in the fight where he alludes to the fact that you can actually see Lamato wincing when he's taking, mm. especially punches to the ribs, and eventually, you know, he's no choice. But the referees sometimes, we still see it in, in modern boxing that because if it's champion, now this was obviously a meeting of the middleweight champion and the welterweight champion, we haven't even really touched on the fact that Sugar Ray Robinson was stepping up and Lamata was struggling with the weight and Robinson knew this. They knew that once this fight goes a bit further, then that's where we're going to really take take it on. And uh, Lamata just obviously ran out of gas. And But a lot of referees will give the champion, the, I know they're both champions, but someone like Lamata, his reputation, they give them the benefit of the doubt to think, you know, he's, he's still standing. I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna keep the fight going because he might have something left in him. It, it's it, did Lamotta get his belt because of Marcel Serdan dying in a helicopter crash or in a plane crash? So we, they were due to rematch, and then the, that tragedy happened. So, um, but he was he had been become the bona fide middleweight champion. He was considered by all to be the best middleweight on the planet, which like it was very much a status thing or maybe a bravado thing to give Robinson this shot even though he probably was the leading contender and also promised the best gate receipts and best money so I think that was the, the reason why Robinson stepped up but as Phil said that's commonplace now where the champion from a lower division will, will jump up and challenge himself at the next division you see it through boxing history where that was not the done thing this was very much an exception even into the 70s and 80s Marvin Hagler was middleweight champion for a, de a decade like he didn't and no one was criticising them for saying, Marvin, you need to step up and challenge yourself at light heavyweight or whatever. He was like, no, I'm dominating this division. I'm quite happy to do that. So yeah. that in 20, now in 2020, you would be criticised if you spend that long in a division without moving up and challenging. So Robinson was before his time. Henry Armstrong, in the early part of that century, was very much the trailblazer in that respect. And Henry Armstrong, by no coincidence, was Sugar Ray Robinson's hero. So he just wanted to follow in his footsteps. And he did that. We're going to get into most jarring now. One of the things, and I think it's important that you mention that, like go, going back and watching boxing from this era, if you watched any other sport from that era, it would be totally different. Like, yeah. granted, okay, it's different, 15 rounds, uh, referee being a little less involved, you've got your camera people all uh, along the, the apron of the ring. But other than that, like, technique-wise, skills-wise, it's a very similar game. It's so true. And, like, sometimes... People get drunk on sporting nostalgia. You probably know it from Kerry, where people mm. talk with the team of the 70s. And just like physically and with the modern sports science, it's just unrealistic that that team could be dragged and dropped into the current era and compete. Whereas you look at Sugar Ray Robinson, his physique, how slick he is. And it's no coincidence that the likes of Andy Lee come in here and wax lyrical about him. Yeah. You could literally take that exact fighter and plug him into the current division and he would be totally cream fine. of the crop. Yeah. It's incredible. It's, it's actually unbelievable. What, what have you gone for for most jarring? I've already kind of uh, blown my load here as small, but boxers <laughs> coming into the ring and the obvious one being the, the length of time that the fight was allowed to go on for. Yeah, so uh, the 15 round nature of it is something, again, we've touched on, but that is such a huge factor in how both men approach this fight in a way that it wouldn't be on over the 12 round distance. And me and you spoke to Ray Mancini in here, I think last year, and he's very much an advocate for the 15 round fight where you get a conclusive winner and as I touched on earlier, like this fight never would have happened if it was a 12 round fight in the previous fight because 
Lamada would have been beaten conclusively on the cards. Only for he pulled that fight out of the bag, we wouldn't be sat here talking about this fight. Mm. So it kind of plays to the, the 15 round nature of things. And then the, fa the fact that the fight was stopped by the commissioner, Joe Triner basically came up and waved to the referee, you know, he's, he's taking too much damage here. Nowadays, it's strictly with the referee to make that decision. So I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that the entire livelihood of both boxers is reliant on one man in the <laughs> ring or should the doctors have more of a say? I know the doctors can give good advice and say, if it's a bad cut or something, they yeah, can they tend to do it in between rounds, don't they? Yeah, but at this, in this instance, the people at ringside were basically saying he's seen, he's he's taken enough here. What Jared with you the most, Phil? Yeah, I think watching the fight, it just kind of hit home where you could be watching a fight from the nineties. Yeah, like uh, take the the picture aside, the quality of the picture because it's obviously a black and white. And there's a terrible color version of it on YouTube as well. Do not watch that. No, no. But that that's the thing. I, I suppose. That happens because they have specific weights that they have to fight on. So you mentioned uh, Gaelic footballers. Obviously, physiques have changed. Now, physiques can change, but your weight can't change. You, you have to stick within a weight division. So that's why you can, you can look back at boxing and a fight in the early 50s, and it still stands the test of time. And Sugar Ray Robinson's jab is it's unbelievable. And... You have to almost rewind a couple of seconds to actually see it in action sometimes. When your commentator is going crazy, you're like, I actually missed that. Yeah, and Lamada said it even, that he's one of the hardest hitters he ever fought. And this is, like, if you look at some of the combinations, Robinson lands and Lamada's taking them. And obviously Robinson said, yeah, not many hit harder than, than Lamada either. So, you know, they both took severe punishment. And the, the nature of these fights, like we normally talk in trilogy terms, Ward Gatti is obviously the most famous example where the first round of the second fight was round 13. They just picked up where they left off. And you could see there was an established pattern with these two guys where Robinson almost, he was a little bit lazy. I don't know if the deterioration was beginning to set in because he gets caught clean a lot. And there was more parity in the jabs than you would expect. I'd say the extremes are exaggerated where uh, Lamotte is pe pegged as this slugger who can't box and uh, Robinson's pegged as this sweet scientist who doesn't like to do, mm. get rough inside, but quite the opposite. They were able to mesh and fight each other's uh, games at times. And yeah, just... That's interesting, because in that uh, TV show from the 70s, like they say to Jake Lamotta straight up, yeah, you know, but you were obviously the inferior boxer here. Mm. But you don't necessarily think that's true. You don't necessarily think he gets uh, a fair crack of the whip when it comes to his innate style. Just the fact that you could see him, he's, he's putting his own combinations together. It's not as if the, the commentator makes constant reference to him boring in, and that's obviously true. He's targeting the body and then trying to go upstairs. But he's putting th clever things together. You're not going to catch at someone like Sugar Ray Robinson that clean, that consistently, if you're not doing something right. He's mm -hmm. seen everything at this stage, amateur and pro. So, yeah. Well, he had the reach me. advantage as well. Robinson has a five-inch reach advantage. So, Lamada talks about how he's just aiming for the belly. He's aiming for the body and... That was his plan and it's just even the way he, he kind of crouches over and Robinson's posture is different. It looks like he's even got more than five inches in terms of a reach. But yeah, it's uh, I said if anyone hasn't watched it, I'd, I'd love to hear their opinion on it because, you know, I'd, I hadn't actually I'd, I'd seen snippets of it, but I had never actually sat down and watched the full fight from start to finish. I had watched highlights, I'd watched certain rounds, but I uh, I sat there and and, and took notes uh, round by round. Well, we're moving on to trending, and uh, the main reason why you need to watch this fight is because <laughs> of uh, one particular brand of beer yeah. uh, that's trending. 
Uh, we let the commentator and the broadcast team in Chicago in 1951 uh, tell you all about it. There's the bell ending round number seven. And this crowd is thoroughly enjoying the spectacle of a world middleweight championship as the defending champion Jake LaMotta continues to force the fight and to keep slugging away at Sugar Ray Robinson. Well, of course, you know championships are nothing new to Pabst. When you visit the brewery in Milwaukee, you'll see medals for quality from all over the world. And if you haven't become a Pabst Blue Ribbon fan yourself yet, here's a challenge. The next time someone says, what do you have? Well, just tell them Pabst Blue Ribbon. Then be your own expert. Look at that creamy head. Enjoy that fine aroma. Savor that smooth flavor. Ah, yes, you'll quickly learn why millions of people the world over rate Pabst Blue Ribbon, the finest beer served anywhere. Warning buzzer for round number eight. Oh, Pabst Blue Ribbon is trending very much in 1951. They are smooth, slick inserts from the commentator there. What's the commentator's name? His name is Ted Husing. Ted Husing yeah. is the man. That is as good uh, a plug for a, a broadcast uh, adver advertisement I've ever heard. It happens between every single round. We need to stress this at yeah, the very yeah. start. Just and it's always a smooth, the real champion in the world is PBR. I'd say Ted didn't have to pay for another Papsley Ribbon no. in his life. But there's, another, <laughs> there's another one even when he said, he, he just comes in and he says, say, look what just came in. Why, Paps Blue Ribbon, the genuine dry <laughs> ale. Couldn't you go for a nice, cool glass right now? <laughs> I just, I well, love the thoughts of watching it, commentary on Sky where Adam Smith cracks that in in between uh, in rounds him and Matthew Macklin or something like that. It's, yeah, it's so seamless as well. It's as if he's drinking it at ringside. It really is. Yeah, because like working in commercial commercial radio, lads, we know sometimes you have to read out stuff you're not totally bought into. No, but this guy's it. bought in. This guy loves it. Yeah. Uh, what do we think of PBR? Have you had it? No. Oh, yeah, it's very nice. Because it comes in like the small can, so it never goes flat. That's still the test of time, much like this fight. It really has, Absolutely exactly. Really. We, can, uh, we can go back. We, we should have got, we should have imported cans of PBR <laughs> for this uh, particular thing. So that's one thing that definitely 100% was trending. The steel bucket is obviously trending as it does. When did the steel bucket go out of fashion? Is it still going in certain quarters? Uh, steel bucket's gone, isn't it? It seems to be gone. In case it's probably used as a weapon, more, more likely than not, I'd say. It, like it's everything you watch in boxing films that you think might be overrated a little bit, get that out of your head, it's not overrated. It's exactly like you'd expect it. Like you'd think that this is a dramatic realisation of the fight, but actually no, the, the photographers are there on the ring, they've got seal buckets slamming mm. on, on, on the thing, and you've got these overegged PBR commercial reads and all that sort of stuff. So The anthem as well played, not oversung. Not over no. song like it usually is. Good point. Just uh, an instrumental. And a still picture of the, the US flag, flag. On, the, on the screen. I just love the old school attire of the, the people in the corner. It's, uh, we, we need to go back to that. Just a uh, white t-shirt white with Jake on the back, just in, case, just in case you forget who you're supposed to be in the corner with. Great t-shirts. Who are we with again? We're with Jake Lamotta. So we just, <laughs> we just go <laughs> follow that guy. But Lamotta had an amazing robe as well, a leopard print uh, robe, I think, uh, beforehand. Uh, and then everybody is just immaculately dressed, I suppose, as they still are uh, in boxing circles. But I guess maybe the black and white just makes it look more uniform, like everyone around is, uh, is looking fairly slick. So uh, there's a lot of things that are trending that you'll see in all boxing fights around that time. Uh, if you don't have anything else, we'll go on to the moment of the broadcast. Like, there is tons of different things. For, for me, at the moment of the broadcast, like if you're looking at it from a media standpoint, the historical nature of this, like going to Australia, going to New Zealand, going to Latin America, and then he's like, even on Pan Am uh, Airlines, we're going to have live radio broadcasts of this. Like, to be fair, live sports coverage 
when you're 30,000 feet uh, above ground level isn't something we've actually got to that no. much. Like the, this is not 1951, you're hearing the fight live, it's being sent out to, to the armed forces. So this is like when you're living around the world for people in Australia, New Zealand, and you've got a, a real interest in this thing. This is the first time you're getting pictures beamed live from the United States of these, these boxing encounters. Now, granted, obviously Robinson has just come back from a trip to Europe. He himself had been the, the man who toured the sport, he didn't necessarily need the, the media, but this was just a whole new level for it. So for me, that was the, the broadcast moment of the fight. I'm not sure what you guys have gone for. I actually went for Pabst Blue Ribbon. Well, it could not be, really. It could not be. But I think as well, I always enjoy listening to fight commentary on, on the radio. So I can imagine back then, obviously, you wouldn't have as many fights as you do now. We're, like, we're spoiled for choice now, um, where social media has changed the, the, the setup of boxing, where you can't avoid fights. Like this fight was, this was six years in the making mm. between their, their, last, their last meeting. But Bach, there's something very powerful about listening to a broadcast on the radio. So what is noticeable, and you touched on it at the start, where the TV commentary there isn't actually that much said. And I know true. in TV commentary, this goes in a lot of sports, sometimes you're told, just let the pictures do the talking. Yeah. No, it's, it's that, the Papsley Ruben was also my broadcast moment, but I, I totally agree with this point that it's almost as if he was caught betwixt and between and what he should be doing, Ted Houston, where, like as, as Phil says, people aren't, it's such a new medium that you're, you're seeing things and he probably doesn't feel the need to describe, and yet there's such a, keystone moments in this fight yeah. that go without any sort of narrative at all. If we were trying to cut clips to play for this, it'd be difficult because he doesn't really call some of the signature moments in the fight. It's very much a bit of editorialising. He does come out with some fantastic lines, granted. Mm. But uh, I just find it so interesting that, and there's a fusion with the radio broadcast as well, where you'll hear at the end, they're crossing over to use each other's interviews and things like that. So just the fact that the novelty of a TV broadcast to begin with and how, how well it went together. Because you're, when you're, with TV commentary, you know, they're ringside, so they're seeing things we can't see at home. Now, he does sometimes point out that somebody's been cut, but that's one thing. If I'm watching boxing now where I'm not at the event, you want to know what's going on. So You'll get a close-up, but in this version, yeah, you're you're not getting a you're really at the mercy of the commentator. But if you're ringside, you're going to see if somebody's, after being opened up with a cut or if they've got a bloody nose, and, you know, that will tell people, that'll kind of tell a little bit of a story of how the fight is going if, if somebody's been cut open but yeah it was very much a case of unknown territory. Mm. I, I definitely get, completely accept your point about the radio commentary there's kind of a, a better energy about it like even a couple of years ago when Frampton was fighting Santa Cruz ironically I was in Belfast at the time and all the pubs shut down extremely early so I couldn't actually watch the fight so just had it on BBC Five Live and I think that once you actually close your eyes and listen to these guys uh, at work trying to describe a fight, it's unbelievable. And I, I think it's a much better version of the commentary for this as well. Like I think it's in the radio commentary where that commentator goes that it looks like a meat tenderizer has been taken to Lamada's face, which is just a, a fantastic line when things start to get a bit uh, bloody and bruised for him later on in the fight. So that's our moment of the broadcast, which brings us on nicely to the reaction. So like for, for anybody who hasn't watched the fight, it's a, a fairly brutal end. The commissioner steps in. It's all done. Afterwards, Sugar Ray walks over to the side, talks about his charity donations. As you've already mentioned, Phil, you've, uh, he, he talks about how he actually did it, what his game plan was uh, to take out uh, Lamada on this occasion. And then we have the myth 
or the supposed myth around the end of the fight. Did this or did this not happen uh, at the end of the fight? This, of course, uh, is something that comes from uh, Raging Bull, Scorsese's 1980 film. Did Jake LaMotta actually go over to Sugar Ray Robinson and say, you never got me down? Because it goes like this in the film. Have a listen to how it goes in the film. You hear me? Never got me down. Yeah, see, look. And in the 13th round, the hard luck round, the championship of the world has changed hands. Now, there are plenty of thoughts out there that this did happen, this was real, but I'm just going to say it. This can't have happened. There's no way in the world. Like I, I as far as I'm as, as I'm concerned, the camera doesn't pan away from the ring in the immediate aftermath. Like Lamotta goes down to a stool and he doesn't move even for minutes and minutes afterwards. He's still there. His corner is still tending to him after Robinson does his post-fight interview. So I just don't see how this could be met in any sort of reality because this happens in the immediate aftermath of the fight in in Raging Bull. Yeah. I'm not sure. Do you agree? I don't know. It's probably one of these apocryphal things where maybe when they see each other backstage, mm. there's a tongue-in-cheek remark and someone mentioned it and it got willed into existence or because it was included in such a keystone pop culture moment that people have accepted it as true. And uh, let's just accept that it did happen because I'm sure it's, it's a nicer end to proceedings <laughs> than, uh, than not. But you, know, you find it hard to believe that he was in condition to say anything at that point let alone something so momentous. Not a chance was he in any shape to say that. It's nonsense. What, what yeah. do you think? No, I... I actually, I think Ronan's onto something there where it might have happened in the changing rooms after when they eventually got Lamada back to his changing room. Because remember, he only fought for three years after this. Robinson had another 14 years. That's nuts. Which is, is crazy. So Robinson was 29 for this fight. Lamada was 28. And you mentioned actually earlier about the, 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 pri the prize or the, the money. So looks like uh, Lamata got 45% of the net intake, which was 62,500. He got 1,500 from TV. Robinson got 15%, so he got 20,000. And then he obviously got 1,500 as well from TV. So Lamata, this is why people said, why did you fight a guy that has beaten you? Why did you give him a shot of the title? And the figures, which I don't know what they are in modern day, figures but yeah. it's a lot of money and it speaks to the, the earlier point that why Robinson felt the need to put on a show in these fights because it's not like the modern day where your work is done before the fir first bell where you know people are going to buy the pay-per-view and you have their money before the fight even begins whereas people in attendance there's more of a tangible palpable need to satisfy people who are there to watch you fight mm. or, like I, I remember Anthony Joshua in Madison Square Garden against Ruiz mentioned that he basically left himself fallible because he heard people sort of booing and jeering because it was a quote-unquote boring fight. And you can see why Robinson, uh, he was criticised heavily in previous Lamotta fights for basically backpedalling and fighting on the back foot. And there was racial undertones to that as well, unsurprisingly, uh, given the time that it was. Mm. And like he, as I said, he was stepping on the gas constantly and it was borne out as he, as he managed to force that stoppage. Do you think Lamotta got great pride out of the fact that he just... Sorry, not great pride. Of course he got great pride of not being knocked down. But did he almost kind of see this as another victory? That's like a moral victory. Like the whole, you never got me down. It's sort of a strange thing to say to anybody, even if it is an hour later, backstage, whatever it is, 
Like, is it not a situation where it's like days and days of disappointment and then going to Sugar Ray next time you see him and saying, well, you, you never got me down, kind of tongue in cheek. If this is something that actually happened in the immediate aftermath of the fight, if we actually believe that it's true, which it's not, then <laughs> that probably suggests that Lamotta comes away from this thing saying to himself, I did pretty well there. Yeah, well, I'd say he was happy, obviously, to pick up the paycheck, but the fact that he went 13 rounds and this, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson, Rona mentioned earlier, is still talked about as being one, like when people talk about best pound for pound boxers, his name is always mentioned. And Jake Lamada was in the ring with this guy. So not only did Lamada have the, the honor of being the first person to knock Robinson down, Robinson knocked pretty much everyone out but he couldn't put Lamada down. Couldn't put him down. And that brings us on to sliding doors. So, like, what moment could have changed this? I'm not sure there would have been a moment that could have changed this, to be honest, when maybe Robinson's in the corner and Lamada perhaps gets a haymaker in. But I think he got a few in and, and he couldn't down Robinson at that point. It's kind of more what the overall fight represents on a sliding doors basis, I think, because, like, does Lamada's beating that he takes that night, being dubbed the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, does that kind of hammer home the idea that all boxers are essentially in an extremely fragile place. And that is why his career went much shorter than Robinson, whereas Robinson had this invincibility that was only going to be hardened as a result of destroying this guy. Yeah, well, Robinson took less punishment, so his career was always going to last that bit longer. And the way Lamotta fought, he just took way too much punishment and wasn't a surprise that he was, he was retired in his early 30s. I know he went on to do other stuff outside the ring in terms of acting, but... Um, in terms of Robinson, he just showed that his fight, his fighting style was more sustainable, and also as well, you know, it showed other boxers uh, that if you're the best in your division and you're beating everyone around you, try and challenge yourself. So he was able to do that, um, but there was no moment in that fight where you thought Lamada was going to win. And like, as we mentioned, they were the same age at similar junctures in their career. And yet, eh, Lamada never had another meaningful fight again. So as much as he builds himself off the fact that he was never stopped, he took undue punishment in, mm. the, in these fights. And like, he was ultimately knocked down by Danny Nardico in, the, in his next step up and stopped in that fight. So whereas Robinson fought 13 more title fights and countless other fights besides that, eh, some documented, some not. Like he toured the country, toured the world even and got into a bit of showbiz, a bit of dancing. So the, the routes that the two lads went uh, post this fight are quite marked in their difference. But they, like, like most things, you're bound by these rivalries in a way that you aren't in many other sports. Like I'm sure uh, if teams from previous years are brought together, there's a bit of coldness between them. Mm. Whereas, like I mentioned Ward Gaddy earlier, it's probably the most famous example where they basically became best friends off the back of these, these brutal wars. And you probably couldn't say best friends with these two, Lamada and Robinson, but there was definitely a, a strong kinship uh, through to Robinson's death. Huge amount of respect, that's for sure. Um, let's finish up with the over-under. Was the fight overrated, underrated? Phil, what do you think? And I, I don't, I th it definitely wasn't overrated. And I don't know, is it, is it underrated? Do people not give it enough? I think because it happened so long ago, I think that uh, distance means that it becomes a little bit underrated. I think the main reason why it becomes underrated is that we judge 
or I certainly would have judged boxing by every other sport, which is this happened ages ago. Mm. You watch it back, it's only going to be fine, but you know, within their own time, with their obviously exceptional talents. But actually, if you put that into today's world, this is still an unbelievable display of boxing from Sugar Ray and obviously an unbelievable display of resistance from Jake LaMotta. This is savagely underrated, actually. I think the sport of boxing in this era is savagely underrated. It stands apart from any other game, any other sport that it can stand the test of time. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the weight classes. That is the reason why. It's because uh, physiological improvements and more strength conditioning and sports science hasn't necessarily changed the sport over the last uh, few decades. Rules are different. It's less savage. Less things are allowed to happen, and you're you can come less closer to death than you could back in the 1940s and 50s. So un underrated for me. Underrated, absolutely. Another thing we actually didn't really mention was the first half of the fight. You wouldn't have even needed a referee. The ref is barely mm. involved in it. It's not till later when Lamada starts getting tired, and then he's starting to hold on a bit. And th there's uh, there's a few times even where Robinson holds on later in the fight, but. The referee, you wouldn't have even noticed he was there for the first seven rounds. What are you going for, Ronan? I think it's... Robinson, in summary, basically, of the whole thing, is an exemplar of why boxing is still has stood the test of time, because he basically carved out a whole new way of fighting. This uh, Muhammad Ali obviously came hot on his heels in the decades which came after fighting at these heavier weights. It wouldn't have been... Uh, unseen that people in lighter weights were doing all this bobbing and weaving but Robinson as a welterweight then a middleweight sort of paved the way for future generations and it's no coincidence that other people have tried to take on that moniker probably fallen a little bit short Sugar Ray Leonard obviously the closest to it was brilliant very much in the Robinson mould uh, Shane Mosley obviously as well but this is a perfect paradigm for boxing the sweet science and it, pre it just proves why Robinson's still he held in the, in the air that he is is he the GOAT? See, I always find this, this is a jarring thing for me where we kind of, we do tend to revere people from the past and you go back and watch uh, old World Cups and stuff and you see like the pass back rule and you see bit, people playing at walking pace basically. Mm. But as we've mentioned in this, this is a drag and drop case where this is up there with Canelo Golovkin, which happened last year. It's fought at a similar pace. Uh, very, every bit is ferocious and the conditions at play are obviously different way in on the day rather than the day before, they don't have that much lead-in time. So with all those factors in play, this stands the test of time in a way that many sports on, or many sporting events of similar degree don't. So for that reason I think it's, it's, it's a solid, it's a solid rewatch. Yeah, 100% and uh, I would agree with that, I think it is underrated. As I say, it is fully available on YouTube.com uh, if you want to have a look at the fight. A few different editions, you can watch it with radio commentary, with television commentary. If you want to watch back any of our other classic game clubs, you can check them out on YouTube.com uh, forward slash off the ball. Ronan, Phil, thanks a million for popping in. You can check out Off the Brawl, of course, uh, on uh, Off the Ball's YouTube channel. We'll be back next week with some more good stuff. I think we're going to be changing our attention uh, to football next week. Bayern Munich against Chelsea 2012 because the Champions League is just around the corner. We'll chat to you then. Bye-bye for now.